It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from Hollywood, Florida. I'm not kidding. The Hard Rock uh, Hotel, uh, shaped like a guitar. It's one of the most unique places you'll ever be, where tonight we'll have the Patriot Awards, an award show like no other. It's not about celebrities. It's about the men and women doing great things on a regular basis who finally get their time to shine, most of which will be a surprise to everybody at home. Another reason to get Fox Nation, an app. I know I've, I've got this series, What Made America Great. And I've got 37 features there. I've got great feedback. I get to get a chance to go to all these great places around the country uh, and look back in our history. And uh, I find it really rewarding. So let's get to – we have also this hour, we're going to be joined by Tucker Carlson, very successful talk show host, according to all reports at the bottom of the hour. And uh, Admiral William McRaven is standing by with a brand-new book. But first, this. Now with the Big stories one. you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three, the people who were protesting against what Rittenhouse did, do they do they think that he will be convicted just when they were talking to you? Uh, frankly, they, they don't. And part of this is pushing that. They think that they want to push uh, and pressure the jury or pressure the court to hold Kyle Rittenhouse accountable, accountable in, the, in their words. There you go. Uh, day two of the jury deliberations in the Rittenhouse case. Already jury intimidation, a factor. Number two. How many children have been in those cages? Uh, uh, Senator, I can uh, uh, provide to you the following uh, figure that um, when, and let me let me say, that when a child... I, I, I don't... Child, I, 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 it's a simple question. How many children I, have been in those cages? Uh, I, I respectfully am not familiar with the term cages. Well, there was a big picture of kids in a confined area. That's what they called them when President Trump was president. Train wreck. That's how I describe Secretary Mayorkas' appearance in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee as he tries to justify wide open southern borders and tell us it has nothing to do with security. And when it comes to illegals, the global pandemic doesn't matter. Number one. There has been uh, wide agreements on the part of everyone involved, moderates, liberals, etc., that CBO does not have experience analyzing revenue amounts gained from cracking down on wealthy tax cheats who are taking advantage of every honest taxpayer. Yeah, we had everybody ready to dismiss the CBO score. It should be in any day. The economy wearing away on consumer confidence. Inflation wearing away at family budgets. And President Biden continues to push for his partisan spending, uh, his spending reconciliation package. Only Joe Manchin can stop it. It looks like the House may vote on it as early as Thursday. Let's bring in one of my favorite all-time guests, an outstanding American, Hall of Famer, if I could put him there, Admiral William McRaven, best-selling author. He's got a brand-new book out geared towards your kids and anybody you're related to. Make Your Bed with Skipper the Seal, also author of another great book, The Hero Code, Lessons Learned from Lives Well-Lived. Admiral, welcome back. Brian, always great to be with you. Before we talk about the news of the day, you did your uh, commencement address, I think, at the University of Texas, and it was about Make Your Bed, right? Right. That's correct. It was just a runaway success. It really resonated <laughs> with the American people. And and have you got a chance to process that on why it resonated? 
Even though you know, you're proud I, of it, I, I know. Yeah, yeah, I'm very proud of it. And, and uh, I've been stunned uh, by the number of people that write me every week. Uh, I think the YouTube video or the videos writ large have been seen yeah. over 100 million times. And um, and I'm I'm just, uh, you know, I'm flattered. I'm flattered and I'm honored that people think it's a value. But the issue of make your bed, to your point, I think it uh, resonated with folks because it's not hard to do. It's the one thing, you know, you get up in the morning, if you make your bed, it, it does give you a little sense of pride, and then you can go on to do the next task and the next task. And, and so uh, I've been, uh, again, amazed by the number of people that have found this one little habit uh, to be habit-forming and then allow them to do better things in their life. So you said, okay, let's write a book about it. It was a bestseller, and now <laughs> knock it down for kids. What's the me- yeah. What is the age bracket that you hope pick this up on their own? Well, uh, you know, the, the book is designed for kids four to eight. But having said that, I did a reading at the Hoboken Library uh, a couple days ago, and the kids were from about one to three. And I was fascinated to watch their expressions as I read, and then I showed them the pictures, uh, and they seemed to really enjoy the book. So I, it's, again, designed for kids mm-hmm. four to eight, uh, but, it, uh, but I think it's going to appeal to a, a very large audience, to include adults. Right. Now, do you see any Navy SEALs amongst the toddlers? <laughs> yeah, there were, there were a couple Candidates? of young ladies, young ladies and men that I think could be Navy SEALs. They were, they were pretty fired up young kids. It was great to have them there. Great to see you, and everyone, of course, you want that patriotism that comes with serving your country. Admiral, let's talk about what's going on in the world right now. And I've had to talk to you since what happened in Afghanistan. And to me, I've never, and I did not fight there, you did. I have never felt uh, more anger and talked to more people. uh, And these are the people who aren't necessarily military-oriented, who are saying, why are we still in Afghanistan? But the way that was done was so inept and borderline, uh, just borderline uh, anti-American. The fact is we willingly left people behind. We watched a country collapse, and we still have people there. Listen to what Scott Mann, a former Green Beret, who's put together a group of retired men and women and business executives to try to finance the exit of Americans and SIVs left behind. I think you're looking at legitimate allies. I think you're pushing, and, and inc- that includes AMSITS. You're probably pushing up close to 100,000. I, I think I, that's not a stretch at all. That's including families now, right? So, like, for example, if you have 6,000 Afghan special operators, which we do, then you look at 20,000 family members, right? That's, that's what's not being talked about. Like, this is, a, this is a massive number, and this is why it was so— crazy to shut down Bagram Airfield and Kandahar Airfield before the withdrawal because we had the logistical capacity to do this in an organized way, and we forfeited that. But it doesn't change the reality of the people on the, of what you have on the ground, which is you know 6,000 special operators plus families. Admiral, what are you hearing? Nobody has better sources than you. <laughs> yeah, well, again, Scott uh, was a great soldier, and uh, he and I served together uh, over in Afghanistan, uh, and he did a, a really remarkable job. So I've got a lot of a lot of time for Scott. I, I don't know about his numbers; those are kind of not the numbers I'm hearing. Having said that, uh, Brian, I mean, you know, nobody uh, thinks that the evacuation in Afghanistan was uh, was anything like what we wanted. Uh, my my personal opinion is we started way too late. That's not to say that there wouldn't have been some chaos, uh, you know, late in the game. But I wish we would have started in in late April or early May and began to evacuate these folks on a timely basis. But I would also offer what is missed by this 
is once the 82nd Airborne got on the ground and really began to work this evacuation, I mean, they evacuated 130,000 people in two weeks. That's really remarkable. And I, I do think it kind of showcases the professionalism of the soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and the civilians that were there. Now, did we get everybody out we wanted to? We did not. And I think, uh, you know, the administration is still trying to work to get those folks out. But the, the are they of the slip, are they Admiral well, yeah, are they yeah. are they actually trying to work because I hear the State Department is actually hurting the effort of Scott Mann and company who are not all they have to do is pick up the phone to this third countries and say we permit uh, the private flights to land in your country and they're not doing it. Yeah, and again, I'm uh, I'm a little reluctant to talk about the relationship Scott has with the State Department. I can tell you in my dealings with the, with the State Department, as we began to, because I tried to get uh, successfully, got a couple of families out, uh, interpreters that worked for me and a general that worked for me. Uh, and the State Department, again, at that point in time, it was right in the middle of the evacuation. Uh, they were a little bit overwhelmed. No, it's now. But they are, yeah, no, I know. And, I'm and talking so right now. now yeah, no, I, I realize that. And now my understanding is that, you know, Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, is working with the third countries uh, to open up some of those airfields to get folks out. Now, again, Scott's number What's is he taking? What so. is he waiting for? What is he waiting uh, I, for? Yeah. The, these countries have already said yes. I mean, this is unbelievable. People are dying at this moment. You know more than almost anybody. Yeah, again, I've got uh, I'm not uh, I'm not an apologist for him, believe me, Brian. I think they do need to make sure that we're able to get the flights, you know, from Kabul or Kandahar or Bagram wherever we can arrange those flights uh, to begin to move these folks that are still left in Afghanistan out. We have an obligation. Scott is exactly right. We have an obligation to those folks that that served with the United States and with our allies. Uh, and and I think we have an obligation to get them out and get them to safety. Uh, so I'm I'm fully behind that. Again, what I don't know is, right. again, Scott's particular situation and uh, and why he feels he's unable to get the planes from Kabul or, or Bagram out to uh, out to a third country. I know that I have talked yeah, to a number yeah. of se- senior folks in third countries, and they are open to accepting, uh, you know, Americans or or our allies flights into various places around the uh, around the region. Yeah, all they need is a green light from the State Department. You know what I, I believe? I believe the State Department wants it to go away. And and it's it just not possible because Americans are too no, responsible, even if they didn't yeah. wear the uniform. Number number two, Admiral, I, I remember, and I was, and I'm sure you don't watch, but when the President Trump wanted to pull everybody out and leave the Kurds in Syria, and he did pull people right. out, but not everybody, General Mattis just resigned. He's like, I can't yeah. do this. He goes, I'm, I, you need somebody that you're going to listen to because you're not listening to me. So when General Milley hears this plan to get out at the speed in which he's going to do it and leave Bagram Airport, all the things he said he advised against in his hearing, along with General McKenzie, why did they stay? And what is their breaking point? I mean, this is, their, this is the back of their baseball card now. They're chairman of the Joint yeah. Chiefs of Staff of the worst military, the worst decisions, maybe the history of the U.S. military, and it, it is not their decision. They knew this was bad. Joe Biden, President Biden, did it anyway, and they still are there. What, what is your, What would your? Would that be? Would you have hit the road if someone told you yeah. to do something like that? Be- 
Well, Brian, I mean, I'm not going to speak for Mark Milley or Frank McKenzie. Uh, I've worked with both of them. They are great officers, but, you know, their decisions are their, their kind of personal decisions. But when you look at Jim Mattis and the decision he made, I think what he would tell you is it wasn't just about Syria. Syria was kind of the tipping point for him. So, you know, I, I remember years ago I had an opportunity to talk to the chief of naval operations uh, who had retired after a whole lot of things were happening in the Navy. And I asked him the same question. I said, why didn't you, you know, throw your stars on the table? And he said, because that's the easy way out. The fact of the matter is the expectation for an officer is, yeah, the president's not always going to agree with you, but if you can serve and do it well uh, and, and continue to support the men and women in the military, then you do your best to get over the rough times and continue to serve. To just say, I'm not going to do this anymore because I disagree with you, again, to me, that's the easy way out, but, um, and, and I respect uh, you know, General Milley and General McKenzie for, again, making their voices known. You have to do that. You have to give your best military opinion, but when it doesn't go your way, that doesn't mean you just throw up your arms and leave. That means you do the best you can to make the best of a difficult situation. Right. So, but this is the worst disaster that you've probably ever witnessed in your life, right? And this has embarrassed us around the world, and it's the reason why uh, Russia could be taking the Ukraine in January, and it could be the reason why China takes Taiwan. America looks weak. The ripple effect is unquantifiable. Do you believe I'm overstating it? Yeah, I think you're overstating it a little bit, Brian, and here's why. It's not that it wasn't embarrassing. It was, no question about it. But make no mistake about it as well. The world knows that we have the finest military in the world, bar none. The world knows that we have the strongest economy in the world, bar none. So while a lot of our allies and our, our fremenies and, and people that don't like us uh, berated us and, uh, and mocked us as a result of what happened in Afghanistan, and maybe, maybe rightfully so, um, but they are not going to doubt the strength of the American military. They are not going to doubt the resolve and the will of the American military uh, because they have seen us in action. And once again, when I talk about the 82nd on the ground, as tragic as some of those events were, the loss of American lives, the loss of the Afghan lives, the horrible right. pictures you saw coming out of it, once the American military got on the ground and began to systematically evacuate uh, those 130,000, it was a pretty damn impressive but operation. Sure, but but we were the only country not allowed to leave the base because the State Department didn't want us to. You had the British and Australians leaving their base, rescuing their people, but our guys and our women were not allowed to. That has to bother you. Well, again, I'm not sure that's exactly right. Uh, <laughs> suffice to say, I think there were some Americans. I'm right. Probably... Admiral, yeah. I am right. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm right there. Right. Um, I'm going to just bring – got to get you on China do you think sure. the American people want to fight to save Taiwan? Do you think that the American people should be prepared to understand that we need to be ready to fight to save Taiwan? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question, Brian. I do think you know, we need to kind of educate the American people on why it is important to stand by Taiwan. Uh, you know, for policy, strategic ambiguity meaning that we weren't going to outright say that we were protecting Taiwan. We supported the one-China policy. Of course, President Biden, uh, you know, last week, I think, uh, kind of mistakenly came out and said, hey, we're going we're gonna to stand by Taiwan and we're going to defend them if the Chinese attack. That has not been our policy. The White House kind of walked it back. But I do think it would be important for the administration to, you know, get into the public narrative why it would be important for us to stand by Taiwan. Because to your point about uh, the evacuation, could it affect our relationships uh, with Russia and China uh, in terms of the appearance of weakness? 
I think if we don't stand by Taiwan, if we don't at least uh, do everything we can to deter the Chinese, which, again, I think we are working hard to do that. We're putting carrier battle groups out there. But we've got to make sure China understands uh, they don't even think about this uh, in real terms. There's always going to be the rhetoric. You know, she's always going to talk about this. Uh, but we absolutely don't want them, you know, crossing into to Taiwanese territory and trying to invade Taiwan. That would not serve them well. It would not serve the region well. And I, I actually think she knows that. So you do not believe that they're after the Olympics, they'll make a move? I, I do not. Uh, now, could I be wrong? Absolutely. But here's what I will tell you is China understands the price they would pay if they invaded Taiwan. And, you know, China is the largest trading partner in the world. And that, uh, you know, that population yeah. of about 1.4 billion, they need a strong economy. If all of a sudden China invades Taiwan, it affects the chip manufacturer there at the TSMC in Taiwan. Right. It's going to affect their relationship with South Korea, with Japan, with the United States, uh, with Indonesia gotcha. and Malaysia and all their trading partners. Is that really worth the price of, quote unquote, unifying China? I think right. she's smarter than that. I hope he's smarter than that. Uh, right. and, and I'm optimistic that he will not actually invade right. Taiwan. Now, do, do I think he will subvert the Taiwanese government to try to change the approach? Yep. Yeah, I do. Kind of Hong Kong approach. Uh, make, uh, make your bed with Skipper the Seal. It's for your kids. Go grab it, and you'll be a better parent having done it. Admiral William McRaven, thanks so much. Hey, my pleasure, Brian. Thanks a lot. Always good to be with you. Same here. Back in a moment. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.